Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast where we get to talk about all things assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman. I'm an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law, and I'm honored to get to co-host this podcast and interview amazing people with my sister. Jennifer. Yay! I, I, am, I am your sister, and I, I love that fact. That is the most important designation in my life. Yes. Do you want to share anything else about yourself? Blood type, um, favorite color? Sure. Uh, blood type, I can't remember. Oh. Pur- uh, purple or green. Actually, I do know my blood type. I'm just not going to announce it on the podcast. Wow. So. <laughs> Too personal. Okay. Well, do you want to share your social security number then instead? Uh, that- I do want to share oh, my social security perfect. number. That would be preferable for certain. Well, um. <laughs> we have a great guest who will be talking about working closely with intended parents through surrogacy journeys who are from China and Asia. And um, she is fantastic. Jen, before we go into that, have you ever been to to Asia or to, to China specifically? No, unfortunately. Oh, that is the one sad. area of the world I really have not been to yet and a growth mindset yet. <laughs> um, and actually, as you well know, we had mm-hmm. a trip planned there for last spring that was canceled. We had a, it was, we were going to be at a last conference March. in Taipei. Yeah, it was last March. As I knew it was, in, it was in the spring, right? As everything happened. Yeah. Um, you know, so we were going to go to Taipei and we were going to have like a, a wild ride of a layover in, in China and get to go see the great wall. And we had all kinds of plans because <laughs> seeing the great wall is on my bucket list of things I'd really like to do in my life. And I, I'm still going to get there. I have a long time left to, to check those marks on my bucket list. So what about you? Have you ever been to Asia? No, I was really looking forward to that trip. I had researched all these great places to see and food to eat. Um, I have been to Hong Kong, though, and Singapore. Um, And Hong Kong was awesome. It was really fun. All right. Well, you've got one step on me. So <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get to do that trip together sometime still. So exactly. But for mm-hmm. now, we are going to live vicariously through Gloria talking mm-hmm. about cultural, yes. cultural things. So here we go. Welcome Gloria Lee to the podcast. Gloria, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Gloria, do you want to start by telling a little bit about yourself and your background and what ultimately led you to work in the world of assisted reproductive technology? Of course. So actually, I I grew up in China and um, I um, immigrated to Canada in 2003. And then after I got married, I'm like, okay, so I want to explore some new opportunities. So that's how I, um, the whole family, we moved to um, San Francisco, which is uh, in Novato, San Rafael area. And before I start working for Donor Concierge, um, actually, I was an events planner because my background was, um, I, I, had, I, had, I have a bachelor degree in applied math and also computer science. But I'm, uh, of course, natural oh, yeah. to be an event planner. Right? That. <laughs> <laughs> but my personality, as you can tell, is really not a IT type, you know, personality. So I, I really enjoy events planner and, you know, project management. So I have been doing events planner for almost like 10 plus years. 
And oh, wow. so when I had my second child, um, I, I was about to take a break because it's unlikely I could, you know, I could travel around, which before I got married and in the events industry, you, you have to travel. So I stay at home. And at that time, actually, uh, my cross street neighbor, she came to me and said, hey, um, you know, let me introduce you to this um, whole fertility industry and donor concierge is a company name. And I was like, uh, what is about? <laughs> but I <didn't> know. <laughs> it is just because your, your neighbor worked in the area. Yes, my neighbor. And oh, wow. uh, she actually, uh, she's, she, uh, she's a nurse. And also um, she worked for a donor concierge. So after she started and, uh, you know, donor concierge was looking for someone who is bilingual, who can speak uh, Mandarin um, and who can deal with the Chinese clients. So that's why, she, you know, she just um, uh, came across the street and asked me, hey, are you interested? So that's how I get into the business. And it has- Total happenstance. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Always dreamed of working in this area. I know. No. <laughs> so, you know, but it's, when I just started, I was like, I have no idea what I was doing, but now it has been eight years. And I feel like I know some and there's still a lot I need to learn. Um, but that's how I get into business. And, um, you know, Dollar Concierge has been, um, has been a great uh, company to work with. And I have been, you know, as I said, I have been working there for almost eight years. And right now I'm the program director and we help with um, egg donor match and also surrogate matches um, with our partner agencies. Great. And to tell people how donor concierge works, because I think they're a little different than kind of age, other agencies. Do you want to give a little explanation of their model? Of course. So basically what donor concierge, what we do is we will make sure that the clients have done their due diligence. You know, for example, for egg donor search, we will help them to do their due diligence. Uh, we will be their advocate. We search through over a hundred egg donor agencies and present them all the possible options we can find if the donor meet their criteria. So at the end of the search, they will feel like they have seen all the possible options. They really did their due diligence and they're really comfortable <clears throat> with the decisions they make. And so that's the egg donor service we provide. Um, and for the surrogate side, what we what we're doing right now is really we work with um, the trusted surrogate agencies. Uh, we screen them very well and we do reference checks. Uh, when clients reach out to us, what we do is based on the client's clinic requirements, we will we have in-house nurse will will carefully review the medical records based on the clinic requirements and then make sure this is a mutual match. They like the surrogate and also the surrogate feel comfortable with them. And also they get to know the agency and we will share all the information we know about the agency. So they build the trust at the very beginning and then help them moving forward to the next steps. So that's mainly the two major core business we have with Donor Concierge. Uh, one is the egg donor search. Another one is a surrogate search. And I imagine that so much of what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis is kind of crossing a cultural bridge of understanding, working with clients from Asia who are then working with a donor or a gestational carrier here. There's just so many different ways of understanding the world. Do you want to tell us a little bit about 
like broadly speaking, how, you know, expectations that you've seen that might surprise people here? Uh, you know, this is a very interesting question. I think mainly for egg donor search, the clients, for example, the Asian clients, they probably want to mainly focus on the ethnicity background. You know, for example, Chinese, they would want to find someone, a Chinese donor. So what we have done is we want to make sure that we give them the overview about the whole databases. You know, not only the Chinese candidates we can present you if she's out there. We also give you other options. For example, do you want to see a Chinese uh, mixed with other Asian ethnicity background? Do you want to see those options? Because that's really helped them to make a decision. And, you know, actually between between Chinese clients and also Caucasian clients, I think it's pretty similar. It's just um, the concierge service we provide is mainly a customized search. So regardless what their um, specific requirements is, we really tailor the search um, to meet their requirements to um, get them through the whole process until they're comfortable with the decision. Um, if we talk about the difference between um, culturally uh, Chinese or, you know, Caucasian searches, I would say probably a lot of Asian couples will more, more focus on the blood tap. <laughs> so, um, yeah, versus a lot of Caucasians, they probably would want to find someone, you know, maybe um, ethnicity background or look someone looks similar to them, fit into a family. But Chinese couples are not only the uh, ethnicity requirements, blood tap is very important for most of the families. I think is mainly the culture wise, they prefer not to disclose the information to their future child and they don't want the future child to find out. I was thinking at first that maybe mm-hmm. because of that issue of like having a mismatched blood type, you would know you weren't genetically related. But right. here it feels like genetic tests are so accessible, you find that out anyway. Is that not like a 23andMe and Ancestry.com? Are those not as prevalent a service or an option in China? It is. So that's why we continually educate the client, say, you know, even we understand you want to protect your own privacy or maybe um, don't want to disclose the information to your future child. But with the technology we have now, there's really no... It's, it's going to happen, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's no such secret anymore. So we, you know, this is, I think, is continually educating the clients um, and hopefully, you know, they, they will learn that... Um, you know, the blood tap probably eventually the, the, you know, their future child will find out, but we really respect um, what is most important to them. And we want to focus on um, the uh, criteria they provide to us and present them the options that meet their requirements. Even in the last eight years, have you seen changes in what's generally wanted? Like, are you seeing any more kind of move towards open donors or other elements that are becoming more important? Education, I would say. Um, mm. so since I started, I think education, blood type, ethnicity background are very, very important for uh, Asian couples and uh, versus Caucasians probably prefer to find someone look um, looks like the intended mother or someone looks like a fit into the family. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so how about on the surrogacy side? How What do you see there that culturally is important to understand between American gestational carriers and Asian intended parents? 
Um, I think mainly is um, the we really want to help them to find agency who can be flexible on the uh, time difference, you know, different hours. Um, the well, but you know, most of the agency partners we work with, they have been super, you know, supportive for international couples. And also we educate international couples about how the agency program works before they even sign up. So because, you know, there's some common sense rules here, like how you work with the agency, when you need to pay the agency fee, it's very obviously for a lot of Caucasian couples, like domestic couples, but not necessary for the international couples. And also a lot of times we found out intended parents, they want to work with a um, is kind of like an agent, like a Chinese agent to help them to communicate. And a lot of times information won't be able to deliver to the intended parents during this whole matching process. So what we have tried our best to do is we want to have, always want to have the direct contact with the intended parents directly. So so a lot of, just so I understand, so a lot of intended parents, they're not even like choosing the gestational carrier and making the decisions, an agent or someone else is deciding that for them? Most of the times is uh, the uh, agent in between will try to sell them about a surrogate. So it's not like, hey, I want to learn what is most important to you. And most of the times, whomever say maybe give them uh, incentives to match the surrogate and they will try to um, present the surrogate to their clients, which is we, we really not feel comfortable uh, doing that because we want to be very transparency. We want to share with the clients uh, who the agency is, how long they have been in the business, um, why they got into business, what their screening process is. And then we also want to learn from the parents what is most important to them when they're looking into a surrogate. For example, how they want to communicate with the surrogate during the pregnancy as an international couple. And there's a lot of information we want to make sure that we really help with the mutual match and we have direct contact with the parents versus um, work with a client through a Chinese agent. And that's how it generally works is that you're able to avoid the agent and talk directly with the intended parents most times. <laughs> yes. That's, most of the time it works. Yes. That's great. Mm-hmm. And how does the language barrier play out? Or do you, do you see a lot of difficulty for intended parents who don't speak English and a gestational carrier who doesn't necessarily speak the intended parents language? Well, actually, you know, it worked very well. I think probably Jennifer has some feedback on this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have definitely um, used Gloria and her lovely <laughs> translation services from time to time. <laughs> so we have, you know, we have WeChat. So mm-hmm. a lot of times agency and surrogate, they will have their WeChat account. So WeChat, yes. you can have um, like a, there's a translate button. You can just click. Then just pretty amazing. The yeah, it is. It's really yeah. amazing, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's. I mean, I I have ever right now. I think so far everything works very well, and um, the um, surrogate feel that whenever they have concerns or questions, they can reach out to. They can leave a message, and then the Indian parents also have this WeChat group. There's the agency surrogate and also the uh, intent parents, and they will be able to communicate very well, actually, with the software, with the app- applications we have. Did, did you see a lot of panic when there was talk about WeChat being uh, closed down in the United States? Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> I know. Like, uh, 
it, it, it is uh, not convenient anymore. <laughs> I, I know, right? I, I was a little scared too. I use it all the time. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I think right now you still can use WeChat, but just not sending money. Like you, you won't be able to oh. do transfers, like money transfer. You still can use WeChat, I think. Yeah, you can. You definitely can. I, mm-hmm. I didn't even know you could transfer money on it, quite honestly. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nobody apparently has sent me any money via WeChat. I'm a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that next time. I will try. Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. <laughs> um, so I think, so, mainly, yeah. Yeah, I think mainly is, um, is international couples. It's always about how you can communicate well. It's regardless they're international or domestic clients. As long as you have a uh, find a way to be able to communicate well, then y- you know we will have a very good, smoothly service journey. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about um, you know the ability to transfer money, which actually made me think about like gifts and things like that. It's a really interesting thing to me that I've seen differently culturally between you know Americans and um, anyone from China, and the just difference in like gift-giving culture. Do you mind just talking about like just kind of even just a cultural level difference in that? <laughs> so, you know, Jeff, that's a very good topic. Um, I think most of the agencies or the, um, like e- including us, what we have done is we share our thoughts with international couples, say, hey, you know, we think maybe a gift card, maybe a flower. And then, you know, I think probably most of the international couples, they get it and they really respect the culture difference. And also they follow um, agency, um, you know, uh, guidelines very well. Um, I So far, I haven't seen the issue with the gift exchange or, you know, like um, have a gift or a flower um, to the circuit. It has been, goes very well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and Jen, I, what have, what have you seen as a difference? Is that other parent like parents want to give a lot of gifts? Is that the so thinking? I even so I have the only time I have ever received gifts from the intended parents um, during a journey is from uh, intended parents from China. Um, but without fail, I have a lot of really lovely tea. I get a lot of tea brought over to me, um, and I've had a few other like small gifts given to me. That it's just because it's a very different like culture that they give. Just they're much more effusive with gifts, I guess, is what it that's is. That's nice, though. That's so it, it's wonderful, and I appreciate every single one of them. And so that's what it's like. But it, it, it always strikes me as a little odd because then I always feel like, well, I'm not used to culturally that we're not as much of gift givers that way. And so I, it always is like, oh, oh, should I have brought something too? You know, that kind of um, thing there. And especially, I think, after COVID, um, you know, a lot of international, like especially couples from China, and they send those masks to their surrogates and yes. even the agencies oh. of families is really, really nice. And um, yeah, I think that's very nice. Is there so any- speaking of, oh, go ahead. Just go ahead. That's right, Ellen, go on. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, is there anything that you often have to warn intended parents about or that you see surprise them a lot about American women who choose to be gestational carriers? <laughs> I, th- I think mainly is we would educate the clients that this is not a business relationship. This is more a personal level and she like be respectful and also appreciate what the surrogate is doing for your family uh, to help you to create a family. I think that's mainly what we have been 
you know, for, for, for my eight years of experience, what I have done was really to let them know this is not a business. This is not business level of relationship. Um, even you pay the compensation, even you pay the agency fee, they don't owe you, um, say, you know, like what you, like some unreasonable requirements. And you have to understand this is not something that you ask your employee to do this for you. So I think that's something that we always want to continually educating the clients about make sure they understand the relationship is you need to be uh, respectful. Have um, you heard any funny requests that where you had to say we're not reasonable here? Uh, I, you know, it's a, it's interesting. I think we have clients asking for, Hey, I want my surrogate to play pianos every day to my child. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I like so it. you had to find a surrogate who also could, who is talented at playing piano. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a, 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 one of our screening questions. Jen, have you it done is that? Not. I think I feel like I need in? to add that to the, <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, you know, you, this, you know, those, those, there's a lot of, um, uh, interesting requirements, but I think with the agency partners we work with, they have been super professional. Like Jennifer, I know you are <laughs> super professional. So you, the agencies most of the times will handle this very well and to let them know that, you know, just explain to them, hey, how things work here and how we will make sure that we will take care of the right. or, or we will say, hey, she will buy a CD with piano music and she will at least play it in the room. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we can find other solutions to these things. <laughs> yes. So you said something about COVID and sending masks and things like that. What, what level of, it, it's very interesting because obviously as Americans, what we see is what, you know, obviously our perspective here as to how things are in the United States how have clients from China reacted, you know, to especially with like travel difficulties and things like that? What, what are you seeing from their end? Well, I don't know about the agency partners, but for donor concierge, I think our uh, international clients is kind of like um, very small percentage right now, uh, mainly because of the uh, travel restrictions. So they have been put a pause on their journey, um, both egg donors um, process or the surrogate process. Um, I think most of them, they put a pause. And for the um, for the couples that they start the journey before COVID time, and right now, you know, maybe baby born, because right now it's already almost November. So a lot of babies will be born um, the before COVID pregnancy babies. Um, I think um, they, right now, I know attorneys, they are working very hard to, to try to get some, um, like a permission so they can travel to the U.S. or, um, they, they will help the Indian parents to find, um, a legal guardian here. So, um, you know, they can take care of the child when, when, when the, when the baby is born. And also I know lots of agencies, they have put a lot of efforts into this to make sure that when the baby is born, there's always someone can be there. For the for the baby. Yeah. So on a completely, this is one of the cultural things that has struck me the the most often is, and I would love to hear your perspective or any insight on why, if if you know why, 
Um, so in the United States, like we definitely, we always take like parents take off the first six weeks after the baby is born at a minimum and really is like, that's all they want to do is be with their baby. And I have found that generally people, the any parents from China are typically looking for live-in help to help them for that first six weeks, as opposed to us in the United States where we like, we don't want anybody around or things like that. It, why Why is that different? I think culturally, because, you know, like when I had my child, <laughs> probably for the first months, I won't do anything. Like I would just take care of myself and um, I will have, uh, you know, maybe family members who can help me take care of my own child. And I also, I think it's, I feel like maybe from Asian, for Asian families, it's kind of like a scary to take care of the newborn baby and they want to find a professional uh, like a nanny or someone who can help them. Um, and also because they are in a different country and there's a lot of things they need to um, get from Interesting. Like where to I get didn't, food. I yeah. didn't think through the, that it was a different country aspect as well. That's actually yeah, a very good so point is that you have a yeah. second level of fear of also dealing with translations and things like that. Exactly. So for example, even just where to get the food for the baby, right? Like to get the breast milk or, you know, day-to-day life and where they can go shopping to get, you know, to go to groceries. There's a lot of things they need to consider. So it's way easier for them to have a nanny be there and then they can mainly help to make sure day-to-day life someone can take care of um, the babies. Yeah. How long are intended parents from China usually here with the baby before they're able to go home? And that's like before COVID normally. And how, how long has it been recently? Jennifer, I think you probably have the. Oh. <laughs> Wrong I, question for you. Sorry. I was going to say, I think I have, Oh gosh. Um, generally I've seen people be here for a month to six weeks afterwards, pre COVID. Um, I have actually, it's funny. I can totally tell Gloria this when we're, I'll have to tell her the details off, but we have one of the babies that, uh, that they sent us that their baby was actually born this week. Um, so that, that we partnered with donor concierge. So their family, (laughs) I'll I'll tell you about it afterwards, Gloria. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, and I think they're, because we're far enough past the, the scary part of the COVID boom and things like that, that they at least are able to get documents, but I saw in general that a lot of people were having a, a lot of difficulties because embassies weren't open and passport agencies weren't open and things like that. So it's it's been hard to say from my perspective. I say I don't know if you're seeing the same, Gloria. Yeah, I feel the same. It take extra long time. I know we had um, my couple that the baby just born two months ago. I think uh, right now the agency is helping them taking care of the baby. Probably mm-hmm. they won't be able to make mm-hmm. it here even in the next month or two. So which means the baby will stay with the agency actually for like three, four months until parents can make it here. And it just make it everything super complicated because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be so hard for everyone. It is. Oh, and are they, I mean, I assume they're like FaceTiming or I guess not FaceTime, but some other video to like see we your chat. child. We like chat video. <laughs> we chat video, everything we chat, right? To get to see yeah. your baby and oh, so difficult. It is. It's, uh, I think for lots of, you know, uh, Chinese couples, it's heartbreaking because they couldn't be here 
when the baby's born and also um, for the few, first few months, and um, it is very difficult. The mm-hmm. banks, um, a lot, some banks was closed. But I mean, right now it's kind of like everything back to normal in China. But still, the travel restrictions make uh, make them very hard to to be able to even come to the U.S. Because even they were able to come here, when they go back, there's still a quarantine time required, at least two weeks. Uh, stay in a hotel with a baby that will make their life harder uh, to make the arrangement too. Yeah. For anyone who was listening who might be a gestational carrier who's thinking about working with Chinese couple or another Asian couple, do you have any tips or advice about what to expect or things they should should know or be especially respectful of culturally or otherwise? Um, I think, you know, I think Jennifer probably also have um, (laughs) input to this. You know, there's some... um, uh, some Chinese clients will say, hey, can we have the surrogate start on the um, herbs, you know, the Chinese herbs uh, for the for the, um, for the the surrogate? And I know that, you know, Chinese people, they really uh, trust the uh, Chinese herbs to do with the pregnancy. But sometimes mm. I think there is always, um, there's always that y- you have to say no, um, for sometimes, like, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't get used to the Chinese herbs, but obviously a lot of circuit they're probably not used to. And you have to say, uh, thank you for the advice, but <laughs> I will follow the OB doctor. Recently. I was about to say, that's always my pat response. Is we, we'll just talk to the doctor about that. Yeah, right, <laughs> the right, doctor right. thing. <laughs> right, right. So I think it's very nice. The, the culture difference is, I think it's always about how you can communicate very well and how you can respect each other about their, you know, like their feedbacks or how, how can you address their concerns and how you can handle um, the communications. I think that's super important. Yeah. Jen, have you seen any, I'm curious from your perspective too, if you've seen any of that or have thoughts. I, I've definitely seen the herbal, you know, requests and things like that. I think the most interesting one for me is actually, and this has nothing to do with like gifts or, or medical things or things like that is trying to explain how our health insurance system works. Um, and that's true for any international, yes. but then I it's, feel like even low, even for people in the United States, I like guess so complicated. And that's always where I start from is like it's hard for us to understand in the United States our own health insurance system. <laughs> so then trying to explain it on top of you know with this, not even it's not cultural, but it's just on you know that how a different country operates and things like that. It's it it's not as simple as that, and it's not as you know. I think sometimes I think, well, just if we put enough money towards it, we can make that problem go away. And I mean, for insurance, yes, but there's a lot of things that we can't, money can't change. Like we can't jump ahead in lines. And I know because like, especially when you have places that have um, systems that have more privatized off to the side, like you can skip some lines because you're paying for private insurance. And that's not true for us because we all are, all are on private insurance basically. So we're all on an equal foot there. And so it's, I, I think that's the biggest one I've had difficulty with is explaining how our insurance system works. Yeah. <laughs> I had someone, I had someone I said, today ask me, they said, Oh, well, if you can do open enrollment with, I think they called it Obamacare, which some people use, right. They're like, yeah. then she would have surrogacy friendly insurance. And I was like, 
maybe (laughs) only depending on where she lives or it's so complicated. Right. And then having to explain that no matter what, the newborn baby doesn't have insurance at all. And that that's just not a, not a possibility for for most inter- international intended parents unless they purchase a very pricey like separate policy, mm-hmm. and you know because there's not you you can't it, for Americans having a baby puts you makes you eligible for the open exchange, but because anybody coming from overseas they're not citizens of the United States and the insurance flows through the parents. And so they don't understand, like, so they're like, but the baby is a citizen and the baby is a citizen. That is correct. But the parents' residency is what matters and they don't live in the United States. And so they can't obtain that insurance. And that's really hard to explain how, why that's true. And I'm not even sure I understand, you know, you know, I don't understand all the fine details and things like that, but you know, I just, it is the way our system works. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the hardest cultural difference that I've seen. Again, it's not even really cultural because it's our insurance system. (laughs) Gloria, do you work at all? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I I just want to say, and also right now, you know, California insurance, they put a lien on the insurance and make it even harder to explain how that works. And I, to be honest, you, I said, you really need to talk to professionals, which is insurance (laughs) brokers (laughs) to get some answers on this. Yeah. Glory, do you guys work with gestational carriers in Canada at all? Because I, I know recently I got that question, like, well, what if we just go to Canada <laughs> where they have socialized medicine? <laughs> so um, in Canada, it's not legal to compensate um, a surrogate. Right. So it's only you can get reimbursement on the costs, you know, like if they have the appointments or any costs related during the, due to the pregnancy. But right now, I, if I if I know correctly, I think there's a long, huge, long waiting list uh, for available surrogate, and also mm. not legal here to compensate. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So I think all the um, uh, Canadians, and if they have any infertility issues, they would prefer to use a U.S. clinic um, to help them to start the journey. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Corey, do you have any predictions for the future? Like, do you see a big, you know, wave and rush of people trying to to use services or use, um, be able to work with gestational carriers in America kind of in a little bit of time when, when COVID hopefully is more under control? Or do you have other things that you see happening in the future? I, I mean... I, I really cross my fingers, cross my toes. <laughs> I hope everything gonna goes well. I, I hope the uh, the COVID thing um, will pass. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, right. but, yes, but at this moment, I think um, people are trying to find alternative ways. For example, um, they can ship the sperms uh, overseas yep. to the clinic and. Um, you know, like uh, clients from Taiwan, from Hong Kong, from Europe, and what what they have been doing right now is they're gonna get the sperms shipped here, and so they can start the process. But a lots of couples, if they need to use um, both egg donor and the surrogate, they probably will put a pause on the surrogacy side. They will create the embryos first, and then use egg donor and create the embryos. Uh, and then they will put a pause on the uh, on the transfer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say it's no fun that we have to potentially have 
delays and things like that, but it, it absolutely is just kind of the way of our times at the moment, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, words of wisdom do you want, would you like to share from your experience um, in this unique position of working with other countries and getting to see so much in the past eight years? Um, I think my recommendation would be for all the um, international couples and uh, make sure that you um, choose an agency that who's reputable in the industry, um, who's trust to work with, and get the first-hand information uh, instead of going through um, intermediate agent to help you to um, gather the information. I think that's uh, that would be my best advice. Yeah, good advice. Well, we appreciate you sharing your expertise with us and your your thoughts. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Gloria, for joining us on the podcast and taking your brilliance and not just doing mathematics or computers, you know, and sharing that to help help people have families. Yeah, you put that event planning to use, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> we appreciate it. So uh, thank you as always to our team that is incredible behind us. Uh, and thank you to all of you who have actually listened to us and gone to iTunes and left us reviews. Uh, we, we do appreciate that. But there's always room for more. They, uh, iTunes has infinite capacity for reviews. So and any number you want to go out there and leave for us, we, would, we, we love it. Um, thank you to our team, to Amanda, to Tyler, to Tim, and of course to Chris at Work at Bird Studios, who make us sound incredible every time. And we thank you especially for listening. <laughs>